Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. In this episode, we speak with Peter Andreas, author of Border Games, The Politics of Policing the U.S.-Mexico Divide, now out in a third edition. Peter Andreas is John Hay Professor of International Studies and Political Science at Brown University. He is the author, co-author, or co-editor of 11 books, and has also written for a wide variety of scholarly and policy publications, including International Security, International Studies Quarterly, Foreign Affairs, Foreign Policy, The New Republic, Harper's Slate, Time Magazine, and The Nation. We spoke to Peter about how the political games surrounding the U.S.-Mexico border have evolved since he first started studying the issue over 20 years ago, how the escalation to a more militarized border has had extremely negative and deadly side effects, and how he expects border issues to be utilized by politicians in the upcoming midterm elections in the United States. Hello, Peter. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to give you a hearty congratulations on your third edition of your book, Border Games. The first edition came out in 2000 and is probably the most cited book about the U.S.-Mexico border out there, nearly 2,100 citations. Congratulations on that. Second edition came out in 2009, and now this month, your third edition has just been published. Tell us the backstory. Sure. I started working on this issue uh, in the early to mid-1990s, when, in retrospect, it's clear that that was just a warm-up to the border policing buildup uh, that's escalated dramatically to to the present. Uh, at the time, uh, it seemed like a, a you know a dramatic in in and of itself, but it was it was just a, a hint of, of really what was to come. So, the book that came out in, the, in 2000 was really the story of. Of, of, of the 90s and didn't include uh, the aftershocks of, of 9-11 and it didn't include obviously the rise of, of, of Trump and, and the hyper-politicization of, of the border uh, through, the, through the Trump years. But uh, nevertheless, there is some consistency uh, in the border politics from the 90s to the, to the present and so I, I sort of felt compelled, given the enormous attention to the border in, in recent years, to basically do a reality check to look back at the roots of where we are now and, and show that really uh, the escalatory border dynamics uh, of recent years are not fundamentally new, but rooted uh, in several decades of border politics, which have led to a, to a uh, seemingly endless process of escalation. Interesting, interesting. What I think is brilliant about even just the title of your book, you, you describe them as border games. Uh, and in the book, you, you describe the border itself uh, is in many ways a spectator sport for uh, politicians and political parties. And there's a tension between image versus reality. Tell us a little bit more about that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, the title border game, um, I mean, in retrospect, I, it's a, it's a mixed blessing because in some ways people might think I'm, I'm belittling, uh, making, making light of, of what's happened at the border. And that's not the intention at, at, at all. It's, it's a deadly 
deadly serious game with uh, enormous uh, human human toll and collateral consequences. Uh, but why it's a game is is that so much of it is for an audience that isn't actually at the border itself, right? Most voters, whether in Mexico or the U.S., have never been to the border, never will go to the border, don't know anyone at the border. So it's not firsthand. It's coming through media images and words of politicians and pundits and so on. And it does lend itself to, you know, manipulating some images, uh, emphasizing some dynamics, ignoring others. Uh, and it's a it's the kind of imagery uh, and language around the border does lend itself to uh, sort of hyping of 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 a threat, uh, which you know we see we've seen in, in an escalatory way for 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 years now. What I find fascinating is that before the 1990s, the border was really off stage politically, not entirely, but it was really more of a local uh, issue. And then it became very much a regional issue, and then it was elevated to the national political spotlight. Uh, uh, you know, what in Donald Trump's uh, um, presidential campaign. So, in some ways, it has been a border game all along. But it's it's escalated not in terms of what's going, not just what's going on the ground, but actually uh, the political attention and the repercussions and the consequences and so on. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you mentioned in the book that, you know, and this goes along to what we, we were just talking about, the primacy of image management and symbolic politics. That's a that's a heady mix. But then that also, as you said, the majority of people in this country haven't been to the border, don't really know uh, what's going on there. And so media narratives can feed their imagination uh, of uh, in an imaginary way that, that they, they can uh, expand issues that aren't even there. And also, they can these this media coverage can also hide things that that don't want to be seen. So you say that this image management has revealed that there's actually uh, persistent failures and negative side effects of this continued escalation that's that get glossed over. No one talks about it, and it just fuels calls for further escalation. Tell us more about this vicious cycle. Exactly. I mean the the. The type of remedies that have been pitched for years uh, uh, at the border uh, to resolve a sort of immediate apparent crisis uh, have have often actually contributed to making the problem even worse, even if sometimes uh, uh, politically uh, uh, expedient and and beneficial for the politicians promoting it. So, for example. You know, before the, the the real escalation started in the 1990s, crossing the border for migrants, they were essentially almost transnational commuters. I mean, they go back and forth seasonally, work in agriculture, go back home to Mexico uh, for the holidays and so on. Uh, it wasn't an easy crossing, but it was um, nothing like it is today. And so one thing that happened with the crackdown on border crossings was to make the hiring of professional people smugglers a necessity rather than just a luxury. So you could, you know, in, in decades past, you could kind of self-smuggle uh, yourself. But because of the crackdown, you have to turn to and put your hand, life in, in, the, in the hands of 
people people in the people in the people smuggling business. And so, you know, in a weird, perverse way, the escalatory dynamics over years have 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 been boom times for the the people smuggling business along the border. That business has always been there, but it has just mushroomed in size, sophistication, profitability. Uh, the criminalization of migrant smuggling has also uh, sort of make it, made it a more sophisticated, hardened business. The stakes are much higher. You're more likely to, um, you know, leave your human cargo uh, uh, in the middle of nowhere rather than get caught because of the penalties and, and, and so on. So um, that's just one example. Another example is just the geographic you know, dispersion of, of flows. So, for example, back in the 1980s, um, the U.S. put an enormous amount of pressure on cocaine smuggling from Colombia to South Florida and, and pitched it as an enormous success story when they were able to significantly reduce cocaine shipments from Colombia to, to South Florida. But the unintended perverse consequence was to not stop the flow, but to divert it uh, uh, westward to Mexico. And so, you know, what was a success story in the war on drugs in the Caribbean was an absolute disaster for the U.S.-Mexico border because suddenly, <coughs> excuse me, suddenly the U.S.-Mexico border was um, not just a highway for, for drugs entering the U.S., which it had been for many years, but a superhighway for transshipping uh, Colombian cocaine uh, into the U.S. and that really changed uh, trans had a transformative impact on the dynamics of, of drug smuggling across the border. And you see that developing into the growth of the drug cartels in Mexico too. Absolutely. I mean, Mexico. You know, not. I don't want to suggest that, that drug trafficking or drug traffickers are a new phenomenon in Mexico, but the the sheer size and power. Um, firepower um, and their their challenge uh, to, uh, to the state is a relatively new phenomenon. The sheer amount of violence in 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 the drug trade in Mexico, which is what's got most of the attention in recent years. I mean, more people have died in Mexico on drug related violence in the last decade and a half than have died in in most civil wars across the world. Right. Um, so uh, this is this is new. Uh, drug trafficking is not new, but the stakes have grown. The fight battles over turf of who controls the entry points, the gateway to the U.S. market, has really intensified in recent years. And you know, part of that is be because of the geographic dispersion uh, of, of the drug trade from, from say, the Caribbean uh, to Mexico. I mean, the other dispersion of flows has been, of course, of people. So historically, migrants would would take the simplest route to say Los Angeles uh, from from the, the the most westernmost point of the of the U.S. Mexico border and go straight through that way. But with the crackdown on Southern California Operation Gatekeeper in the 90s, it pushed migrants to try more dangerous and difficult crossings elsewhere, further 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 east, and out in other states such as Arizona. So Arizona is suddenly you know, caught up in the politics of the border game in a way it never was before, partly because the flow has been pushed from California to, to Arizona. This is 
you know, <clears throat> the intention was to stop the flow or to or to deter the flow or to curb the flow, uh, but the effect was to actually um, rechannel it to another uh, area of the border, and then with all sorts of political consequences. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you you mentioned that the flows move from California to Arizona, so then it becomes a state issue, but then it's also a national issue. And your book says you know that that the issue has moved from low politics to high politics. We have an election coming up in November. How do you expect the border issue to be used in the coming weeks ahead of these midterms? That's a really good good question. I mean, I don't I don't know how successful pitching the border uh, crisis will be, you know, uh, uh, for voters. Um, but you can bet that that Democrats are basically going to run from the issue because it doesn't win for them politically anymore. And Republicans are going to try to push it as hard as possible and hope that that's what voters care about. I mean, they're midterm, so there's going to be a lot of variation across different, different this is not a presidential election. Uh, but um, it's to be seen how much that that sells politically. Um, you know, for 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 Trump, interestingly enough, the midterms when he was president, he tried to make the midterms to be about the border and unauthorized migration. And frankly, it was a mixed bag. I mean, a lot of his fellow Republicans um, were hoping that voters, you know, to focus on on other issues and not just you know, the, the border. Um, so it's, it's unclear how much it will sell politically. But one big change is that, um, you know, in the 90s and even first through the first decade of the century, um, this is a bipartisan issue. I mean, basically, both Democrats and Republicans gained political ground by touting how much they were for border security and toughening, building more fences and, and so on. It was you know, there's some consistency between Clinton, uh, uh, George Bush Jr., and the Obama administrations in terms of, of consistent attention and prioritization of, of border security. That all changed when Trump basically said, nope, I'm going to build a wall. Everything done before me has been uh, um, uh, anemic. Uh, the border's been wide open. And so suddenly, uh, uh, it, it was a much more polarizing uh, issue than, than ever before. More attention to it than ever before, but also more polarizing than ever before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In in that vein, you know, you'd mentioned Trump's policies were were the escalation on steroids. Um, what are your thoughts? That, you know, the border is now moving in a way with the Republican politicians sending immigrants. To Democrat-run sanctuary cities in the north, what what are your thoughts on that? This evolution of the border game. I mean, that is true. That's the right word. The evolution of the border game is is, you know, before they would they would use, you know, the the border itself uh, for publicity stunts, and now they're trying to basically take the border. And, and, and move it elsewhere and get publicity for it. And so you have a, uh, a Florida governor shipping migrants from Texas, from you know, the Texas-Mexico border to you know, Martha's Vineyard in, in, in Massachusetts. So this, this does indeed take it to a whole new level. The border game is no longer at the border. 
essentially, right? Yeah. Um, and this is to, the idea here is, okay, you take, you try to embarrass and shine a spotlight on Democrats who basically are for sanctuary cities and, and, and so on and, and um, get political mileage out of that. I think it's rightly been reported uh, as a political stunt, but what's interesting is, you know, the, the, the playing to the base um, uh, it's actually uh, arguably uh, gotten its value for for someone like uh, DeSantis. Um, what's What's interesting is it's quite possible that various laws were broken, and 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 Florida taxpayers uh, for the bill for the for the for the whole thing. So, um, but as it, we'll see what happens, it's still too early to tell. But um, you know, the thing may backfire a bit. But he certainly got a lot of political mileage out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, this evolution of the border game from the first edition—not that—not that your book is the linchpin of the of the progress—but you 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 started uh, analyzing this uh, escalation in 2000. We're now 22 years later in the third edition of your book. Maybe there'll be a fourth edition of the book, you know, uh, in 10 years. Who kn who knows? But let's just say, um, you know, a magic wand uh, appears. And you're suddenly an advisor to the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you recommend? Like, how how do you? Do yeah. Like, what what's what's the solution here? It's getting out of control. What what would be the sane political? Uh, po what would be the policy that would would stop these games or or make it more? Um, yeah. I, I, make I, make I, things you know, work. I don't have. You know, you say you have a magic wand. I don't have a magic solution or a magic bullet. Uh, it's a very complicated issue, and and the first thing I would I would advise is deborder the, the the debate. I mean, basically, the border is really just a, a place, a symptom of a much larger problem. You know, what's going on in Central America, restructuring of of <clears throat> jobs and and demand for low-cost labor in, in the U.S., demand for drugs in the U.S., uh, shifting geographies of drug trafficking from South America to the U.S. So it's really, you know, the border's just a, an entry point, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily the uh, source of the problem or even the most appropriate target of, of a solution. So, you know, try as best you can to deborder the, the border debate. It should be about you know, okay, what, what is immigration about? It's human rights, humanitarianism. Uh, it's also a labor market regulation issue. Uh, what are, what's the drug issue? Well, is it primarily law enforcement or military? Well, maybe we should recast it as, a, as primarily a public health issue. So the attorney general, uh, uh, a surgeon general would be more in charge, say, than, than attorney general or even real generals in Mexico case. Um, so... You know, one would, and the other would just be, you know, take a deep breath. And so, part of what the book tries to do is historicize the escalatory dynamics, so people don't think that what's going on now is suddenly fundamentally new and un unprecedented. I mean, this idea that we must, you know, regain control of the border, the border's out of control, projects this mythological uh, impression. Uh, uh, nostalgia for a border that was once under control. You can't regain control of something that was never under control. So people need to sort of have a historical reality check to realize this border's 
you know, long been hyper porous. Its very founding was partly based on smuggling. If you go back to the 19th century, um, uh, much of what crossed the border after the war with Mexico was, in fact, smuggling of various sorts. Uh, and it's not going to be solved, you know, over overnight. Um, the other issue is that many of the things that we, you know, associate with the border um, don't even actually even happen at the border. So, for example, unauthorized migration, very few Americans realize that almost half of the unauthorized migrant population in the U.S. didn't even cross the border, didn't even come in through Mexico. They're, they're visa overstayers, for example. So if the issue is really unauthorized migration, well, then you need to make it a much bigger discussion and, and debate than just, just about um, uh, the border. Uh, the other issue is just to, to call nonsense on some of the language used uh, to, 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 you know, by, by political opponents. I mean, you know, one of the favorite slogans for Republicans to sling at Democrats is, is called open borders Democrats. Uh, and it's idiotic because Democrats and Republicans alike have for decades been building up, you know, border enforcement measures, whether it's doubling and tripling and quadrupling the size of the border patrol since the early 90s to massively increasing border drug interdiction and, and, and uh, sending assistance and, and training to Mexico, for example. Um, so it's, it's downright silly to, to say that before Trump, the border was wide open. And then since Trump left office, it's now wide open again. Um, but again, you know, that's the, the sort of uh, political logic of the of the border game is to is to project a kind of black and white image of you either you know total border security or or my opponents are are open borders people so some historical you know learning it's easier said than done of course uh, sound bites don't lend themselves to you know telling people you know take a deep breath and 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 uh, it's not it's not an unprecedented crisis it's a serious problem and needs serious attention but it's more of a of a you know, manage the border rather than solve the border. It's not going to uh, be resolved uh, overnight. I mean, the other really just heart-wrenching issue that, that voters need to realize is is just the, the high numbers of people arriving at the border today, um, you know, claiming uh, asylum, uh, you know, through the refugee process, um, and that was not true in the 1990s, right? So this is a this is a new problem. They're actually trying to find the border patrol to to turn themselves in and get uh, processed through the asylum uh, uh, system. So that is is something that needs to be fundamentally fixed because right now it's like multiple years of waiting uh, for your for your for your you know case to be to be even looked at. Um, so again, that's not going to be solved uh, overnight. It's precisely because of this. I mean, Democrats are well aware of this, and so they, you know, there's no simple soundbite to say what I just said, and so they're hoping that voters will just care about other issues like inflation and, uh, um, you know, the economy and, and and so on. And Republicans, even they certainly know it's a complicated issue as well, but they're going to hammer as hard as they can that this is these are open borders Democrats, and you vote for. For, for Democrats, you're voting to, to, to keep the border open or open it more widely. Um, so, you know, in the last uh, pages of the book, I mean, it's not a prescriptive book, 
uh, in the last uh, chapter of the book, towards the end of the concluding chapter, I sort of, you know, try to speculate on where this is all all heading. And um, the reality is is pretty sobering. It's not, um, you know, I don't see a, the uh, uh, all out full blown uh, militarization. I think militarization of the border has certain built in limitations, but it's also um, not going to necessarily de-escalate uh, any time soon. And so it's going to be sort of muddling through in, 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 uh, in the muddled, you know, in the muddled middle. Um, and so I think the border game uh, is, is, you know, most likely to persist in, in some form or fashion. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, whoever's in office, um, things are, 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 are taboo. So Democrats will not call any barrier construction a wall because Trump is basically, and his supporters have basically owned that term. And so Republicans will call for a wall, and if they're in power, they will push for, for continuing building a wall. Uh, uh, Democrats will call for more fences, more virtual walls using you know, the latest technology and, and, and so on. Uh, but what's interesting is the, the you know, miles of, of wall built under Trump, it's not like Democrats are tearing that stuff down, right? They're just, um, they're building on it and, and making sure that, to say that they're against a wall, but they're for border security. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, this this explanation is is one refreshing because you don't really hear this. The the, the complicated nature of it is pushed aside by the sound bites. And I'm so grateful that you've written this book. You first you know first coming out in 2000, but this third edition brings clarity to a complicated issue that, as you just said, is certainly not going to be solved uh, simply anytime soon. But if we at least have the facts that you lay out in the book, we can at least move forward with eyes open rather than eyes closed. And so I really want to thank you again for, for updating this new edition of Border Games and I encourage our listeners to take a look at this book and, and learn some more about this complicated issue. Well, thank you. I, I hope I don't have to do a fourth edition, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll talk in 10 years or so. Exactly, exactly. Well, it was great talking with you, Peter. And again, congratulations on your new book. All right, many thanks. That was Peter Andreas, author of Border Games, The Politics of Policing the U.S.-Mexico Divide. If you'd like to purchase Peter's new book, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website, which is cornellpress.cornell.edu. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.